What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 221 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and unlike last night's emergency episode, there are other people on the call with me, which I'm sure everyone is excited about, including myself. And I am joined by both frequent slash regular co-hosts, Eric Cole and Scott Coleman are both here. And gentlemen, it's nice to be here. It is. I'm, I'm glad we have some uh, baseball to talk about. I know it seems like just yesterday we were joking that uh, we're going to have to do like a favorite movies podcast or something like that. So we have some some real life baseball to talk about. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, people are spared from like the top 10 favorite places to go out to eat during a pandemic type <laughs> list shows. They're spared all of that. We're, there's, I'm really excited to talk baseball, like actual baseball with you guys. Um it was uh, kind of a strange day yesterday because this kind of felt like a weird ending to this whole saga. But, you know, at the end of the day, baseball is happening or at least in theory should happen. Um, and, you know, it's just going to be kind of fun to talk about something else other than just, you know, so baseball is still not happening. And then, you know, trying to think of other stuff for people to talk about. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to do the PSA right now so that we don't have to do it later. I understand. So does Eric. So does Scott that COVID-19 might wreck this whole thing. We are, we are aware of it. I promise you we're aware of it. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. I know it's bad most places right now, and uh, we understand that, I promise. But for the rest of the podcast, we're going to focus on and assume baseball's going to happen. Now, there's still a long time between now and the, season, and the season started. We know that, but I want to just say that out loud. We understand, and trust me, it is not uh, out of my brain that baseball still might get shut down at some point. But uh, here we are talking about what's going to hopefully happen in the next couple of weeks. Um, as I said on my emergency episode, but probably people didn't hear for the most part, um, the details are kind of what you expect. You've probably seen some of them already. Players getting prorated salaries, um, basically the same amount of money as every MLB offer, which is infuriating. And we talked about that on Sunday's podcast. I know Scott and I did. Um, there's probably going to be a grievance at some point from the players, according to the reporting that I've seen that's out there, but it's not expected to, to actually disrupt the season. So it looks like all things are going to be happening. That'll be sort of in the background as we get going here. Um, and other than that, everything else is uh, either health related or, you know, there's not a playoff bonus. There's testing going on every other day was the reporting that's out there. Um, but before we dive into the specifics, even more than that, uh, I want to know what your reactions were. Uh, I know that neither of you were particularly available last night in terms of, uh, podcasting which is why you ended up with me by myself but i know you both saw the news and reacted to it in some way so uh i'll let you find about who goes who goes first but uh, i want to know what your actual uh, thoughts were other than uh, i guess it's just baseball's happening was that as, was that as clear as it was um that was me <clears throat> that was mine uh i think just cautiously optimistic about all of this as you said I, I feel like every every sentence that any of us say tonight could be you know, assuming baseball happens and for the sake of, of everyone, we won't go down that road, but, you know, cautiously optimistic. It seems like the owners really held their stance. We talked, you and I, Brad talked on Sunday about how um, it was clear the owners were going to do one thing and, and really the negotiations, if you want to call them that over the last six weeks, two months um, have really just kind of been a delay and stall tactic. So um, the fact they've worked out the on-field stuff and the players have agreed to the health and safety protocols is encouraging. Um, as you said, really, it's it's another week until players start showing up and, and then about a month until games. Hopefully we have real baseball to watch and, and uh, they're able to work through the health things. But um, I, I think it's just glad that we we're, we're done the nonstop negotiating through the media that was happening. I know I was pretty sick of it. I think most people were. 
um, looking forward to hopefully, uh, you know, some, some real life baseball here sooner than later. Yeah, I was getting, I'm, I'm kind of with Scott and this, I was kind of just tired of the negotiating between the meet amongst the media. I was particularly irritated with how the owner ownership's positions were being portrayed by certain members of the media about how they're like taking these grand <laughs> steps towards the players. Like there, oh, there's certain, like, like I have to some, laugh. there were some reporters out there that I wondered openly if they were on major league baseball's play payroll because the amount of total dollars that was being offered to the players functionally did not change during the course of the negotiations. There were some slight changes and some guarantees. They shifted some percentages around while decreasing the number of games the entire time. It was very clear that they were wanting to play any somewhere between 50 and 60 games the entire time because that was exactly the amount of money they were willing to spend on this season. And they stalled long enough to where instituting a 60-game season was the most logistically probable thing in the hopes that they would not lose a grievance against the Players Association. The Players Association pretty clearly read this situation and was trying to like get more games, and it seemed like there was some more sentiment towards you know the players' position you know, especially towards the end of negotiations when Manfred started, you know, threatening not a season, not having a season and threatening to not have a season unless the players waived their right to a grievance, which was never going to happen. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with a potential grievance uh, because it could, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into those types of things, but I was excited about the universal DH. I was excited that there was going to be baseball. Those were things that I was excited about. I started thinking about actual Braves baseball. That was a lot of fun. For about five minutes until about five minutes after this announcement, it was announced that like Charlie Blackman and two other guys had tested positive <laughs> in camp. You yeah. know, and that 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 was a rude awakening that, you know, this isn't over. You know, the teams can try to control the the situations regarding spring training and who that what they have control over, their facilities, their staff, et cetera. It is going to be extraordinarily hard to make this go without, you know, some real bumps in the road. And it's going to require a really robust health and safety protocols. I hope that they've have that ironed out in a way that isn't just haphazard at the last minute and actually is like a really robust system because that is what it's going to take to kind of keep this thing going. For sure. And we've we've read uh, what's been available about that. Um, it's important to know this is not a bubble in the way that, you know, the NBA is doing, for instance, in one city. Baseball is operating in their home ballparks and they're purposely not putting their players in a bubble. Now we can... Uh, argue about whether that's smart or not, but um, guys are going to be free to do whatever they kind of, not not whatever they want, but um, there's certainly going to be, uh, there's some freedom out there for players before and after games. There's stuff that's been mandated in terms of just on the field and while you're in the ballpark, like no spitting is one, no, no tobacco, no seeds, not trying to have high fives and hugs and stuff on the field. Oh. But in reality, this, this is not a bubble. And uh, because of that, it's kind of inevitable in my mind that you're going to have some guys test positive, even when this is going to be happening. I think right now it's definitely inevitable. We, we've already been seeing that the last week or so as players were starting to get closer to their, uh, to their facilities and uh, Charlie Blackman news that Eric just mentioned, but there will be guys that test positive. You're seeing that now in the NBA as players return to their, um, I guess facilities for the first time in several months, there's this rash of positive tests, which is not a surprise. It's not, it's definitely unfortunate, but it's not a huge surprise. It's probably going to happen in baseball as well. I'll just be interested to see what happens along the lines of when they, when they get going and if they get going, um, not doing the bubble, not even trying to pretend they're doing a bubble, honestly, um, just to see how that's going to go, um, frankly. And we, we don't know, but that's a, that's a big question that's out there. In terms of um, player availability too, there's this uh, language in there about pre-existing conditions, you know, the players that have them can opt out while still getting paid and maintaining service time. 
um, players without pre-existing conditions can opt out but probably won't get paid or get service time um, unless um, this actually that could sort of sets them, set them up with the uh, team itself. But it does not apply to family members. So, like, if someone was married to someone who had a pre-existing condition or had a child, they're not necessarily guaranteed to get paid if they opt out. At this point in time, Alex Anthopoulos, who's, of course, the, the head honcho for the Braves, you know, said on Wednesday that no one at, at, this, at this point in time has opted out that he's aware of. The, uh, the guy that everyone's been sort of whispering about is Adam Duvall, who has diabetes. Uh, I'm not really aware of anybody else. But uh, I think Adam Duvall is probably going to play. We'll see how that goes. But that's something to keep an eye on, too, across baseball, not, not just the Braves, is that uh, we could still see some guys opt out, whether they're paid or unpaid, and that could uh, certainly influence some things. Um, before we dive into the, like, baseball-only details, do you guys have, like, any other thoughts on, you know, just the decision to come back to baseball and the health stuff? Mm. Because it's very interesting, and I think, you know, my brain tells me that there's a lot of risk here, but at the same time, they're going for it. And uh, yeah. the turnaround time is pretty quick as well. Yeah. I, you know, obviously none of us are players. We're not in the clubhouse and that dynamic, but it, it seems like most players, again, if they don't have the health conditions will play or at least give it every effort and intent to play. Um, who knows? I mean, again, if everybody, nobody has the same situation at home. Um, and of course, you know, we're not privy to what goes on outside of the, you know, outside of the baseball stadium for all these guys. But, um, you know, I, I would imagine most guys are going to show up. It, you mentioned the service time thing. I know that's such a big, big deal uh, for especially the young players because they're trying to get closer and closer to their bigger paydays. Um, I would think especially the younger players. You might see a veteran or two, maybe a veteran on a on a bad team, might say, you know what, it's just not worth it. But for teams, I think in general, most, most players will show up. I guess we'll see maybe once workouts happen uh, in the next week, 10 days, maybe something will change. But I would imagine... Uh, and this is just my guess, of course, that most players are going to play. Yeah, my, my primary concern is, I mean, I think Scott's right. that I think that most players are going to play. If they're not going to play, it's going to be like an overriding health reason. I don't see any, I don't see any players that would be holding out like for like labor negotiation reasons, if that makes any sense. You know, that we're going to sit out the season because we didn't get what we want type types of situations. Um, I don't see that necessarily happening. The thing that does concern me, and you kind of touched on it, Brad, is like this is kind of all of a sudden this has to, like you know players have to report in the week, and I worry a bit about having all of the like health and safety stuff done at these home ballparks that weren't necessarily planning on being spring training facilities. I I would like to hope that all these teams were kind of preparing for this, regardless of what was going on in the negotiations, you know, in the hopes that they could have you know things in place and systems in place and, you know, all the stuff that they need to make sure that people can, you know, socially distance and, you know, have all the sanitizer that they would need and, you know, all that other stuff that they would have that already instituted rather than having to rush through it in a week before when these guys start reporting. But I worry a little bit about it. And especially when you hear things like the Rangers are already exploring having fans show up to games. These are all things that are concerning to me just because I feel like these are things that could get this entire season shut down, especially if COVID-19 continues to get worse. I have to say, I uh, I did a I, I I wish I had seen my own face in when I when I read the first couple of reports about the Rangers and the Marlins talking about fans, because let's let's not let's just not do this. Like, can we not can we not have fans? Um, maybe later, I, I maybe later on, shop. but like, I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll speak for myself. I assumed that there was some sort of 
understanding that there were not gonna, there were not going to be fans at least at the beginning of this. Um, maybe in a perfect world that probably doesn't exist, but maybe I guess could um, later on if things were just magically fixed or if there was a vaccine or whatever, um, you could have fans back. But I did not envision teams trying to have fans at the beginning of this. That seems crazy to me. Um, I'll just speak for myself. That seems crazy to me. Um, but we'll see if that happens because I mean. All of the health and safety protocol is, we'll see what happens there as well. I uh, I trust that they've been consulting with people that know what they're doing and real medical professionals. I'm sure what's going to be on paper is going to make some sense or most sense. I just worry that you, if you start adding in these variables, like you said, Eric, I mean, the reality is players are being asked to report by July 1st. And that, that's fun for people like us who are hopeful to have baseball in the very near future. But that's a week from that's a week from today, um, and that is not a lot of time to prepare. Now, granted, I would hope that at somebody at some level in every organization was already kind of preparing for this, but in, at the same time, they got to be ready in like three or, like three or four days because even then, I'm sure players are going to be arriving before July first. Players should be arriving could be arriving today. I have no idea um, how quickly that's going to go, and they have to have some check in. I'm sure that they're going to do you know they have to do testing immediately the first time, especially is going to be a big testing protocol-centric thing and uh, a lot of uncertainty and not a lot of time to prepare for it. So, you know, lots of questions clearly being uh, asked or should be asked at some point or at some point along the way here. But, yeah, it's um, a challenge, and uh, I'm rooting against fans, I'll tell you that. I, I mean, I, I'd love we, – we'd all, we'd all love to be at the ballpark right now in a safe fashion, but that's not a thing yep. that exists, I don't think. I couldn't – yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, it's it's not a matter of, you know – I don't know why there'd even be controversy about this. You know what I mean? Like if you get this many people together in stands right now, considering the situation at hand, it would be, it could be a health catastrophe. I know it's outside. Like Like, I I get that it's outside. I understand. And I get that the plans that I saw, I'm not sure if you saw the same thing I did, the plans that I saw where it's not like they wanted packed stadiums, but it's just hard for me to believe that, right now as the numbers across the country for COVID-19 are rising essentially that they could, someone could sit down and think, you know, it would be a good idea to throw a couple thousand people in the stadium. Again, I know it's outside for most of these ballparks and that outside is better than inside, but, um, and you could distance, I suppose, but are people going to distance? We we've seen, again, I'll speak for myself. I've seen enough here locally to where even if some people are definitely doing what, what they're supposed to be doing, um, others are not. And that's, you know, that's just kind yeah. of the reality of the situation. Uh, yeah, so- wait for that first home run ball to end up in the outfield bleachers, and let's see how many people are willing to stay six feet away from <laughs> each other going to get that thing. Yeah. Who wants to take bets on that happening? Yeah, you, well, you have to have some you, serious policing going on. Well, and if you let people in, it you're opening Pandora's box because then you have to have uh, food service, you have to have yep. event staff, you have to have janitor, you can't I mean, do you it. Have bathroom. Right. I mean, what's I would hope that these owners are not that uh money hungry i mean clearly they they uh <laughs> they are but they wouldn't well, I was about to to say, put, well you know what good is 2500 people in the stands i mean wh- why it's just not it's just not worth it so hopefully uh smarter heads prevail and you know sell the hell out of advertising um i know the nfl today announced that they're going to do some in the front rows of the stadiums are going to put um are going to allow for extra sponsorships and and uh marketing opportunities for local businesses you know what start putting up a bunch of posters on the seats you know recoup money that way don't don't open it up to to pandora's box and and let a few people in that just seems 
uh, irresponsible to me. It seems, yeah, it seems pretty aggressive. Uh, and I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, there's been nothing like that reported so far with the Braves. Um, so hopefully they don't try to do mm-hmm. that. Um, you we'll can see. add the Red Sox to the list of teams that are trying to think about doing it though. They just, oh, someone great. just reported that Fantastic. Yeah. in Boston. I'm sure that'll go over great. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone for right now on the podcast. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, take a quick break. And we're going to come back and talk about the baseball-related details, which is uh, definitely more my forte, and I know you guys would agree with that. So uh, hold on tight, and we'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, fellas. Uh, There are baseball details to talk about, so uh, let's get away from our... Um, zones where we're not as informed or not as expert level and into baseball where we're at least closer to that. I wouldn't say experts, not a word that I throw around, but alas, we know some things about baseball. Um, 60 game schedule, which we kind of knew was going to happen. That was the number that was floated out there. Even as recently as our, as as our Sunday podcast, that was the number I think people were kind of assuming was going to be the final number. Um, that's going to be the case now over 66 days. Opening day is going to be July 23rd or 24th. Uh, 24th for most teams, 23rd for a, for a small handful for TV purposes, I guess. That's interesting to me. Um, and then from there, the schedules are not permanently out yet, but the Braves, as we kind of alluded to all the way through this last few months, are going to have a brutal schedule, frankly. Um, you're playing 40, yep. of the, 40 of the 60 games against the division. 10 games against each, and that does mean 10 games against the Marlins, which is nice, but then 30 games against the teams that are pretty good in the Mets, Phillies, and Nationals, and then the other 20 games against the AL East, which isn't much easier other than the maybe the Orioles. So uh, it's going to get tough schedule-wise, and of course, um, as we sort of alluded to before, you're playing in your home ballparks uh, with the potential exception of the Toronto Blue Jays, because that's still up in the air, and the Braves have to play the Blue Jays at some point in time. Toronto may not be able to play at home because of border issues. Um, We'll come back to that if we need to, but uh, scheduling-wise, that's kind of what we're looking at here. 60 games, 66 days, and uh, starting pretty soon. Like, for instance, today, as we're recording this, is June 24th. Opening day is probably exactly one month from today, and uh, that's it's both encouraging and fun, and also kind of weird that it's that close. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you talk about Eric talked about really having to ramp this thing up in a hurry, and I mean, it's pretty crazy that in a month after after really shutting down the last three plus months that we'll have in theory uh, live baseball on ESPN. I mean, it's pretty fun to think about, right? You know, you talk about having. Uh, Garrett Cole square off, you know, making his Yankee debut, hopefully not against the Braves, 
but you know, making uh, making a Yankee debut. I think as a whole, um, I think baseball has been, or I would hope that baseball has been proactive in thinking some of these things through, right? Like it, the logistics of it are going to be a nightmare, but I think that because they have a month to kind of hammer on any details, I'm, I'm hopeful they're ready to do it. Um, the other thing too, which I think is worth pointing out is you know, the players were told, I want to say it was about a month ago when we heard reports that players were starting to be told by teams to really start to ramp up their workouts. And I know guys like Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies have stayed in the Atlanta area to work out. I'm sure others have done the same. Um, so thankfully it's not as if this, everybody wasn't expecting a season to happen. And then just overnight they flip the switch and everything is different. And these guys have been sitting on the couch um, but I, I, it's crazy to think that really, again, in exactly one month, we could be watching a Braves game, which would be uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's kind of wild. And like the logistics of how these seasons are going to look like I'm we're used to seeing, you know, the Braves play against the Cubs, play against the Cardinals. Uh, it seems like those series are like ones that we think a lot about. And like, that's just not going to happen this year. Um, I mean, Scott's right that, you know, the, the logistics of, ramping up a season, getting starters stretched out. I'm, I'm imagining for like that first, I don't know, 15, maybe even 25 games, like a lot, like we're not going to see starters getting past like the fourth inning. Cause they're like, you know, you haven't really had time to stretch them out and they want to have those arms preserved and take advantage of these expanded rosters. So it's, it's going to look really weird. You know, there's going to be a lot more games against, you know, AL East foes than I think we we're necessarily planning on, you know, when a, when a third of your games are against, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays, you know, the results might look a little bit uglier than you were necessarily hoping for. But I, I just, I come back and I think about it. I don't know if there's a good, I, I don't think there was a good way to do scheduling. I don't think there was a good way to do, you know, to deal with travel. You know, people talked about bubbles and, you know, hubs and things like that. But the places you could do hubs are the places you don't want to be right now. So it, I, I'm in awe of the task that is now in front of baseball teams and Major League Baseball in general to make some something even again, it's only a 60 game schedule, but making this happen without it turning into kind of like a disaster is going to require a lot of work. And I understand why there was a lot of thought put into those health and safety protocols and kind of taking advantage of as many different options that were available to them and different permutations as to how to make a season work. Like there, 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 the, there's been leaks the entire, you know, for the last four months as to kind of what it could look like once baseball started, you know, from again, from hubs to even like going into different countries. And, you know, I don't, I just, at the end of the day, I just never really thought there was going to be a good way to do it. Uh, this way is certainly an interesting way, but I am, you know, <laughs> you know, from a purely selfish perspective, you know, Brad's hundred percent right. This, this schedule is going to be brutal. Um, it, we, we don't have to know exactly what the dates and times and who's home and who's away and all that stuff. You know, the, at the end of the day, I think the Braves play a total of two bad teams this season, uh, and that's going to be really tough. Yeah, I mean, just practically, if we assume the schedule that's been reported, you're talking about 30 games out of the 60, which is half a schedule against good NL East teams, at least talented, comparable rival NL East teams. And then you throw in, you know, 12 12 out of the 20 AL East against the AL East are against the Rays, Yankees, and Red Sox. So, and that's if you just, you know, Toronto might be all right. Uh, we'll see about Baltimore, but Miami is going to be bad. Regardless, the schedule is pretty brutal. It's not, it's one of the more difficult ones you could possibly have. Um, and, you know, let's talk about this for a second, but the reality is it could be fun 
if baseball happens, uh, I am a big fan of baseball having this have this very long schedule that rewards, you know, excellence and kind of decreases on the randomness a little bit by having more of a true outcome. But a 60-game season, every game's going to matter a ton. Um, for instance, the Braves over-under is one of the five or six highest in the entire league, and the Braves over-under is 33.5 right now on Bell Lime. So basically, they're, they're projected to go about 33-27, and 34-26. and 26. Um, If you go on a four-game losing streak, it's going to be like the end of the world. That's that's like losing mm-hmm. that's like losing eleven games in a row in a, under regular circumstances. Now that's a, a little bit overplaying it, but um, it's going to be very very weird and maybe cool um, to have like every single regular season game mean you know more than twice as much as it normally does in terms of just doing the math on the standings. That could be a fun element. I don't I don't want that I don't want that to be the case moving forward for baseball because I do like the marathon aspect of it. But uh, as a one year experiment, if, if this all happens. It could be kind of awesome. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how teams handle it, right? I mean, you, as you said, uh, if you get swept, if you get swept in a three-game series, it is so much bigger than if you just get swept in a random, you know, midweek series in the middle of June, right? So, um, but at the same time, we, we just talked about how teams are going to need time to ramp up their starting pitchers. Um, you know, I'm sure hitters are going to take a little bit of time to, to get their timing down. Um, so it is, it's, it's going to be a fascinating situation of, right. It's, it's not just another dog day in July where, well, whatever it's, it's a getaway day. It's our fifth starter against their number two starter. Let's just kind of punt it and give half the guys a day off. Um, it, every game matters. And that's just, I think kind of the, the, both the beauty and the ugliness of baseball is how long the season is. Uh, it's great because you have a game every single night for six months, but there's also times where it just really drags where I think people are ready for the, you know, the postseason chase in August and September. Um, that won't be the case this year. Every game is important. Granted, it is just one out of 60 games. You you know, it's not like you lose two in a row and all of a sudden your season is over, but um, it is going to be a fascinating dynamic with how, how hard managers push. And, and if uh, we do see noticeable changes in how, Brian Snicker or even other managers around the league um, handle it on a day-by-day basis because it's, it's just not the same game. Yeah. And I think that we're going to see most of those strategic decisions that are going to be fascinating are going to be with pitching staffs. Um, you know, we were already kind of have some opening thoughts from basically everyone as to what the, you know, between the 40 man rosters and the, you know, the taxi taxi squads that all these teams are going to be having, you know, who's going to be playing and, you know, what roles are everyone going to be playing? Because, you know, all these thoughts that we had on bullpen construction, they're basically out the window now because, we're, again, we've already kind of heard hints that there's, you know, starters are only going to be going, you know, three or four innings, you know, especially the ones that maybe are a little bit older or are coming off an injury. Uh, does that mean that certain guys that maybe wouldn't have made the roster or wouldn't be making starts normally, are they going to be seeing starts? Are we seeing guys that are big piggybacking on others? I mean, that's something the Braves did in the minor leagues last year. You know, it was with, you know, with Patrick, with Patrick Weigel coming back from surgery, you know, is that going to be something where maybe that they start pairing guys up and be like, these are our two guys that go in the hopes that you can preserve your bullpen so that you can go to them as much as you need to, because you're not going to see a guy just a starter just hanging out there into the sixth inning getting shelled uh, with the game, with each game mattering more, you know, you're going to be seeing these games managed a little differently. 
Um, obviously, when you get down towards the end of the season, you know, you'll, you'll still have those teams that are going to be out of it, and you're going to have those teams that are going to be safe, and you can, you know, maybe manage things a little bit more like you would towards the end of a season. But there's also going to be a lot of teams in the hunt for playoff spots this year, and that makes this like new, like this new trade deadline that's going to be happening going to be fascinating. Uh, because I'm not sure how much trading is going to have to happen. Is there actually going to have to be some sort of like quarantine process? That's like, you know, once a guy goes <laughs> to a new organization, is he going to have to like sit out for a while and be tested? Like, we don't know any of this stuff, and it's really fascinating. Uh, and I'm kind of curious to see how much activity there is uh, once, like, you know, you, teams can actually start doing transactions again. Because, by the way, Yasiel Puig is still a free agent. There's still guys that are free agents right now. They may or may not have jobs this year. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, rosters unfreeze on Friday, which is, you know, less than 48 hours from now. Um, that'll be interesting. I'm not sure the Braves will be super active. Maybe they will be. I mean, yeah. I don't know. They they could certainly use some stuff if they wanted to get creative. Uh, you know, don't forget that Levon Hernandez is still on this team. I'm not kidding. Levon Hernandez. Felix Hernandez. I was going to say. I was going to say. I was watching Levon highlights earlier on Twitter. I was watching Levon. I was watching Levon highlights on Twitter about Eric Gregg. And uh, Eric Gregg always in my head. Every so often. It makes me mad. It's always in my head. Uh, but Felix yeah. Hernandez is, is on the <laughs> roster. Um, yeah. But yeah, the deadline of the deadline's August 30th. Sorry, August 31st. That's a bit strange in itself that they're a that they're having a deadline on the shortened season. B that it's later in the season than normal, um, and even even by the shortened schedule, there are uh, the percentage of the season is a little bit shorter after the uh, deadline is over, um, and you know players have to be up and on, on the forty man by the end of by the middle of September to be playoff eligible. There's all kinds of questions like there's this taxi squad idea that we talk about right now as well while we're talking about rosters because. They're going to open up the season with 30 on the active roster for the first two weeks, then go to 28 for two weeks, then go to 26 and stay at 26. Um, you know, there's the taxi squad is going to be a popular term everybody's going to be using. We, I know we're already all using it at talkingjob.com, but uh, essentially they're going to have a, they have to submit a 60 man roster by Sunday, um, which is essentially going to be the, the entire 40 man, whoever's on the team. And for the Braves, I think it's like 37 right now, 38 right now, something like that. Um, and then you get in from there, you're going to fill in the rest with some combination probably of like super high level prospects and a couple of, or maybe more than a couple of like fill in journeyman types that can go ahead and go ahead and play major league baseball for you. But, uh, as Eric is much more of an expert on this than I am, um, there's not a lot of minor league activity happening right now. So you want to be strategic in some ways, like for instance, I think we're all kind of assuming the Rays are going to have their first-round pick from this year, who obviously is not going to be in the majors this year. They're going to have him on the roster in the taxi squad probably right away just so they can have him doing something. That's a consideration, mm -hmm. too. That's like a secondary thing, but it's also all this stuff matters, and it's all new. And I have a question maybe you guys know. I, I don't know if I've seen this. So if Drew Waters, uh, who uh, if, if he starts to play in a game, does his uh, service time clock move? Or does it not matter for this year? Has that been decided yet? I think it would. I think it would move. If he was put on the forty-man roster. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's got to yeah. do with the forty-man. I am not an expert. I saw a little bit of chatter about this today with a couple of organizations that were asked about this and like availabilities, and there was some gray area. So I'm gonna have to look. But uh, mm -hmm. I have to assume if you're on the forty-man and playing, then maybe that has to start your clock of some sort. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, but, I, I don't know. I would. I would think. They would have to, but again, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, Drew Waters is not 
on the 40 man roster currently, you know, realistically, uh, you know, is it worth how, if, if you're going to play him three games, is it worth it? I, I don't know. I, Pro- probably not. I mean, it would well, have to be <laughs> in, in, in his particular case, like three other players would have to like sure, fall. Sure. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because you, because you have Pache in front of him, who's already on the 40 man roster. And, you know, we know Nick Markakis is going to be starting two-thirds of these games in the outfield, and then we got <laughs> Enciarte. And so, but, I mean, but I get what you're saying. And in terms of service time, there's going to be a lot of weirdness. Right. Uh, you know, like rookie eligibility, I, I would imagine, would be a little weirder. Right. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ian Anderson might be a better example because he's somebody yeah. who I think could contribute right away, especially with the shortened starts right off the bat. And he's not on the 40 man. So Anderson's probably a better example of this than yep. uh, Waters. But that's, that's, a good, will... that's a good point for sure. You, I mean, there could be incentive, especially if this trend that we're all assuming is going to happen that Anthopolis even talked about that guys might just go with these, you know, piggyback pitchers and um, you might just want or need more arms and, I don't know. I mean, obviously you have to consider service time on a prospect on the level of someone like Anderson and Waters. Like a lot of these prospects that if you, if you get a tier or two down from that, you can't worry about service time. But at the very, sure. very top level where those guys actually are, you do have to care about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and I think that there's look based on how the owners have been acting through all of this. <laughs> if there was, if there is going to be service time manipulation happening, <laughs> it's definitely going to be happening this year. Oh, there was already because, chatter about it today on the yeah, internet I mean, everywhere. It's, it's, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, when guys are going to get called up, you know, cause of, I mean, we had a, a bunch of guys get like who haven't even debuted in the majors have you know already gotten their contract extensions for this year. You know, when are you bringing those guys up and you know, how, how, how is that going to work in terms of, you know, their, their overall service time and I, I i wish i had better answers is the short version i do know that if you're on the 40-man roster and you're going to be seeing playing time then you're going to be using up your eligibility but after that i mean i think there's gray areas and i would like to think that some of those details have been ironed out or they're definitely going to be ironed out possibly in that grievance that's going to be filed that is for sure going to be filed by the players association you know they, they don't want organizations necessarily abusing the service time rules that are in place specifically for this season what I imagine this is going to look like is that it's going to functionally look like Gwinnett. So it's going to be their AAA, AAA club with like a bunch of older guys, whether it be college draftees. I, I wouldn't put it past them to have like three of their draftees from this year on that taxi squad with Schuster, oh, yeah. with, Fra- with Franklin and with Bryce Elder, particularly those three. Cause I could see all three of those guys for sure, like having a possible role in the 2020 season, that means things broke a certain way. I mean, I, I'm assuming Franklin's going to be starting on opening day, frankly. So it's just one of those things. Uh, well, my, 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 my large adult son has to be, has to be starting right field on opening day, right? Right out of college. You have no idea how much it upsets me that they're like, I don't think I'm going to have a chance to get, to get you a Jesse Franklin Rome Jersey. <laughs> Cause uh, I was like, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was waiting for an opportunity, but you know, obviously, you know, I have a I had a joke I had a joke to make that I guess I'll just make now. Uh, should we rebrand the Road to Atlanta podcast, the Taxi Squad podcast? Hmm. Oh, true. I mean, the Road I, to Gwinnett. I mean, like the I, Road I to Gwinnett podcast, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. The Gwinnett Shuttle podcast. I mean, but, there's a lot. There's some because it's a fair question. Oh, I guess I should clarify that because the Braves, uh, at least from what what AA was talking about today. They're going to use Truist Park, and Truist Park. I have to get used to saying Truist Park. Oh, that Truist. is what the stadium is called. Um, 
for spring training, but they're also going to use Cool Ray Field where the where Gwinnett plays as a secondary venue in spring training, and also that's just where the Texas squad is going to live, essentially, this whole season. I don't know how long it's going to go, but uh, basically it's just going to be Gwinnett and Atlanta in terms of the minor league system. So that'll be interesting, and I'll let Eric dive into that um, much more in the future in terms of uh, you'll be you'll become I, I know my go-to uh, Texas squad expert. But uh, I have I have no idea how that's all going to work. But at least the Braves have two facilities. That's actually probably an advantage the Braves have over some other franchises that oh, they absolutely. they have a, they have a high level AAA ballpark that's down the, just down the street, and that probably helps them uh, in terms of, of logistics. I was thinking about that. I can't think of that many organizations that have a facility that's that close to their major league. I mean, do mm-hmm. any come any come to mind? I mean, like especially I mean, the ones it, that you'd want to use. It'd be very hard to be as close. I mean, because the thing is, they're not going to put minor league minor league stadiums in like actually in major league cities on purpose. Nobody, sure. nobody does that. Um, and Gwinnett is about as close as you possibly could get to Atlanta without being in Atlanta. So yeah, I mean, yeah. if I had to bet right now, I would probably bet you that it's the, cl- it's the closest of anyone. Like, yep. I mean, sure, it has to be. I don't I mean, know that for a fact, but it just like my logical brain tells yeah. me that it, it couldn't possibly be any closer. Well, and it's triple A too. Right. Like, you know, again, Eric is the, uh, is the prospect and minor league stadium expert here, but I would imagine the Gwinnett facilities are, are much higher than that of some of those a you know a ball um, stadiums. So yeah, I mean it's a huge advantage. And right now, in, in today's world too, you know it's a drivable distance too. Um, you know, if teams, I'm sure they're going to find a local college or something like that to to work at it. They're not going to rely on airplanes in order to bring this taxi squad guy you know up for a couple of days, but. Um, you're absolutely right. It should be a big advantage for Atlanta. We'll see how that manifests. I have no idea how it, they're going, how it's going to work, but uh, I think it certainly doesn't hurt the Braves to have that facility and have, um, of course, their system. You know, is obviously better than most systems as well. And having prospects that are legitimate that can actually help them uh, immediately, uh, guys who we haven't even talked about that probably could fill roles if they needed them to. And you know, the uh, there's going to be a COVID nineteen injury list. Uh, that's separate of the injury list that has no min and no max length, which is interesting. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And then you have the standard IL. If guys are, you know, there's still there, there will still be baseball injuries, um, just because that's what happens. So you you have the you have the 10 day um, standard IL as well. So we'll see how that uh, is all handled. But I wanted to make sure we talked about the tax squad a little bit. I, I didn't want to talk about this COVID-19 injury list. My understanding is that could include being put on the injury list for possible exposure. Yep. And that is going to get ab- abused terribly by a lot of teams. <laughs> like, oh, well, we're not sure. So we want to make sure we hold them out for a while. And like having a miss starts, you know, being put on this list. And I, I wonder, that's the one thing that when I was looking at the, like the rules that were putting out for the health and safety protocols that I wondered openly about like real actual abuse by teams in terms of, you know, whether it be keeping guys up for a certain amount of time or, you know, <laughs> like, we, 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 we already saw it with the 10 day injury list last year. Yeah. You know, it, you know, all of a sudden everyone, everyone had a strained calf, you know, to miss a start when they needed them to. But it's yeah, the old is, groin, <laughs> the yeah. old groin pull to miss a start. Yeah. That yep. will be. Uh, yeah. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if baseball foresaw that. And if they didn't, where they'll hear it now and maybe like put something in place where maybe they have to approve that. I have no idea how they would do it. I'm just, yeah. I'm just talking. But uh, that is going to be interesting because that you're right. That is ripe for manipulation if teams yeah. want it to be as cynical as humanly possible. Maybe you know, maybe with having the expanded 30-man roster um, and really just the flexibility to move your 40 around whenever you want, maybe that's what they're hoping will kind of counteract it again. All it takes is that's one true. team. 
to start messing with it. And, you know, everybody else, I mean, it's, you know, the Dodgers infamously started at like three years ago and now half the teams in the league, you know, whenever Mike Soroka needs to miss a start, he has a groin, you know, he has a, the old groin pull and misses six days retroactively. Um, don't, don't, don't you put that evil. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? I mean, if you need a reliever, Josh Tomlin throws 70 pitches one night last year, all of a sudden he has a you know sore foot and he misses a week because they they know he's not available. Turf yeah, pitch, right? Four nights. Yeah, that's yeah. So uh, we'll it's a good point. Um, quickly before we get to some roster questions, uh, the playoff structure staying the same at ten teams, which I appreciate. I actually would have been okay if they expanded it for this year only, because there is a lot of volatility in a short schedule. But uh, I fear, and I think people have the same fear that if they expand in playoffs, it's never, it's never going to go back. And uh, I, I personally just disdain expanded playoffs. I think 10 is already too many. I think baseball needs to be a sport that rewards the regular season more than the other sports do because of the grinding nature and the fact that um, it's just so easy to get hot in a baseball playoffs and win it as an 84 win team or something like that. It's happened before. Um, we've all talked about the nationals last year who made on, who went on this run and wouldn't have made the playoffs in, in certain other ways. And, um, I'm I'm happy that they kept the playoff the playoff structure in place. Even uh, I would even make it smaller uh, long term, but that that's not going to happen. The cat the cat's out of the bag. But they're staying at ten for this year, which I uh, was appreciative of. Now I saw something earlier today, and I I, I might have just missed it. There, the, my understanding is like an expanded playoff is like possibly still on the table. Oh God, please don't let like, that uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, at some point they have to make a decision as to what the playoffs are going to be. But you know, like. I had read something, and I I can't remember right offhand where it was. Is that you know it was still possible that there would be an expanded playoffs? I pulled I like pulled most of my uh, notes from Passan and Rosenthal, and they the, li- those, and they the, lied to me if they were uh, hmm. not if they were not telling me the hey, truth. I'll be I mean, so upset. Well, I'm I'm certain that the, the, that's what the kind of the understanding is right now. I I don't know if I would be. I'm I'm with you that I think this that year it's baseball, fine. I really think it's yeah. Fine. Like I, I wouldn't be it wouldn't bother me this year. Just put it back, and, please. <laughs> and, well, and I and I think you're right. I don't think that they, they be won't. Able to be and that's the that's two. the thing. Like, I at some point, if you start I having a 15, if you start having a 14 team or a 16 team playoffs, the regular season yeah. is going to be just not useless, man. But like, if you're bringing more than half the league to the playoffs. Yeah. In a, I mean, in, a, in a sport that sure. has this this many games, the entire yeah. point of the schedule in baseball is to make sure the best teams make the playoffs, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you stop. I mean, you could you will have teams making the playoffs with seventy five wins. Like that's yep. not that's not. I was fun. just saying you're going to have opening rounds of Yankees versus White Sox, which nobody wants. I mean, that's not, and and on the very real chance that the White White Sox have a good seventy two hours, all of a sudden, you know, it's 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 so unpredictable. I'm, I'm with you. I think. Um, I, I don't know. That sound that the, the White Sox yanking sweeping the Yankees in that scenario actually is is, is more of a selling point. Well, to yeah. Me. I mean, it's sure. the randomness <laughs> I, is so high. I mean, I just don't. Sure. I I would like baseball to. There's there's already so much randomness in the playoffs because baseball is a sample size sport, and inherently a playoff series is a small sample size. And yeah, the best teams are still better are still better than teams that they're playing against, but. You know, there's a reason why even like the Astros of the recent years, they're only like minus 200 favorites in a series against a team that they're obviously better than because it's baseball. And you get in a you get in a spot where you get one a couple of guys hot for three days, 
and that flips the series. And that, that's part of the fun of it. Obviously, you don't want to take that out completely. But if you have a 105-win team playing a 77-win team in a playoff series, and the 105-win team loses, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I will say that if you are going to do any weird stuff... This is the year. This, this is the year to do it. I agree. If you were to try... Like, there is a very clear health reason to try out robo umps this year and i don't understand why they didn't they didn't give it a try because again this is the you know if you're talking about trying to keep guys away from each other and not having the umpire like leaning over both the batter and the catcher right there there's a reason for that but i mean I, they're also doing some kind of weird stuff with like the extra inning thing which i, I don't think actually works but scott uh, does scott likes it i'm spoiling it right now scott likes it and i hate it uh, well well scott and i can fight I like about it. it here in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> But you know, but like I said, if you're going to do weird stuff, like if they were, I, I was kind of in favor of them just trying, like whether if you're going to do extended expanded playoffs, they obviously did the universal DH, which I'm super happy about. Um, if you're going to do weird stuff, this was definitely the year to try it. And I think that if you had done an expanded playoff, what would have happened? But people were like, "Wow, two sub 500 teams got into the playoffs. This is not what we want." And then you know, in theory, that would allow them to go back. But you this, know, is, this, I, is, this is just the chaos here anyway, to the point where yeah. a 60 game sample isn't going to be representative anyway. So right. I would have been totally fine if they said, all right, to make it a little bit more balanced, almost, they made the playoffs expanded this year. But by the way, we are definitely going back for 2021, but they're not going to do that. So that's why I was happy that they didn't. Uh, I have to, okay, before we go to the, to the DH stuff and some, some Braves roster stuff, I need Scott to make the case for the what I find to be ridiculous extra inning thing with your runner starting at second base. Uh, I, that is going to happen this year, apparently. Uh, I just, I, I, maybe I'm just too old and washed. I, I hate this, but Scott likes it. So go ahead, Scott, make I, your point. I think I like it more just because of how weird everything else is. Okay. And it's really a good way, as Eric said, this would have been a great year to experiment with robo lumps. Um, I think it's a good thing to experiment with. Maybe. This time in, in two, three months ago, this is the stupidest thing ever. The Braves are 2-10 and ten in extra inning games because of this dumb new rule. Um, but I know personally, um, I think extra inning games just totally drain a team. And I know me personally, after watching 10, 11, 12 innings, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Um, I know it's not traditional baseball. I know it's weird. Um, they've done this. <clears throat> they've done this in other leagues. According to... Um, I, I forget what the number is, but it's not some like guarantee that you're going to have a run scored. Um, I want to say it was maybe 40, 50 percent, though I don't have that in front of me. But um, again, maybe in two months, I say this is the stupidest thing ever, and I hope they don't keep going with it in 2021 and beyond. But I think it'll be a way to prevent those super long games, which I think just uh, not only drain on fans, but, you know, you clear out your entire bullpen. Players are standing out in the in the field for six hours. Um, nobody likes those games, or at least I don't like them. Yeah. Yes. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong disagree on this one. Uh, <laughs> well, for starters, it doesn't ostensibly do that. I mean, I understand that the, it's not a guaranteed run, but it does not stop extra inning games from going further in extra innings as much as you might think. And more importantly, like relievers absolutely hate it and it can affect their arbitration numbers because they start every inning that they're in in extra innings with a runner in scoring position. And it kind of creates a, a, a brand of baseball that is kind of, not great. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people like, you know, the sacrifice the runner over, get a sacrifice fly, that sort of stuff. It, it doesn't play out as well as I would like. I'm, I'm with you in that extra inning games. Look, a 15 game, a 15 inning game this year in particular 
is like can could mess up a team's like season because they wouldn't be right. You know, this is, we're all already on truncated travel schedules, and I'm not like super traditionalist on this, but like I, you'll the minor like a lot of the minor league teams don't really like them. I don't think the players really like it. You know, it it makes some interesting decisions regarding you know like who should be your pinch runner and you know the eleventh and the twelfth, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's there's definitely some things that are interesting. And again, if you're doing it for this year, I don't care. Right, because again, this is where you want to see how major league teams use a rule like this, just to maybe highlight some good things about it, maybe to highlight some things that are less good about it. Now, from a Braves perspective, I'm not sure if you want necessarily Tyler Flowers having the managing a run game uh, with a runner on second in innings, with you know, especially with the games counting as much. And you know, Darno's kind of the same way. You know, I'm not sure exactly how good he would be in that situation. I'm not sure if it's advantageous to the Braves. I'm not sure if anyone's super happy about it but i'm also interested to see how this would be used by major league clubs too so i'm kind of like in general i like i don't like it but i do want to kind of study it too and see like especially how some like a lot of the different types of managers in major league baseball how they use it and the 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 idea that was being used and i think it was in the atlantic league where you could actually steal first on a wild pitch um but it would like you like or like you could steal first and it didn't have to be on like a drop. Uh, yeah, that's drop what it, it was. Yeah, it was. I, all I, of that. I, I, I wanted to try. I wanted to try that this year too. So I'm like, all this sort of stuff would have been. This would have been a great year to do that. Uh, they're definitely trying some new things, and I'm I'm in favor of experimenting. But as a general rule, I'm not a big fan of that one. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I would probably be a little bit more open to it if it was like starting on the 12th or something. Where like, all right, guys, this game's getting kind of ridiculous. Let's just get it. Let's, let's get it over with. But even then, I would I wouldn't like it. But I, I understand uh, this this year. I don't have as much of a problem with it. I just fear that any change they make is gonna stay. And I'm not a fan. But alas, okay. Before we get out of here, we're we've gone uh, for a while, which is expected. Um, the major conversation I would say in Braves land, at least on the internet and on Twitter today, was about how the Braves will use the universal DH, and we've we've alluded to it a couple yes. times. Um, yes. first, first and foremost, this is a, well, I'll just say broadly, I think this is, this, this Braves team is much, much more set up for the universal DH than maybe they have been in several years. There were obviously years where we, the three of us especially lamented, uh, how bad the Braves bench was this year is not that, um, they actually have options. They have combinations that will work. And I think in general, it probably is going to be a good thing for the Braves that they have universal DH. Does that make sense? Do you guys agree with me or disagree? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think for a team that has some uh, ground to make up losing Donaldson this winter, he was so good last year and, and Marcelo Zuna is a, is a step in the right direction, but he is not Josh Donaldson. I think it only makes them better. And you're right. I mean, two years ago when the, you know, the 2018 Braves who of course won the division, but had, uh, Renee Rivera on their uh, on their bench in the playoffs. Oh, that um, bench! That bench was so was such an atrocity. It really was. It was. It, it hurts, it hurts I mean, my it, soul. It really was. And you know, if that was the case, it's like, oh boy, uh, we're gonna have Charlie Culberson as our DH six out of seven days a week. I mean, it's it's not that you have guys Nick Markakis. Um, the hot topic of the day was is Marcelo Zuna a good defensive player or not? Um, whether you think he is or not, he's a candidate. Um, Adam Duvall, Austin Riley, and really, I, I like the DH because it gives players a natural way to rest without completely losing them. Um, we have lamented for years on this podcast, really, about overworking these players, and by August and September and October, they're just exhausted. 
Um, you know, let Freddie Freeman DH a couple of times. Give Ronald Acuna the de- the night off in center field and and let him DH. So um, I'm all in favor of <clears throat> all in favor of it, and I think it's something that the Braves are set up to handle better than uh, than than other National League teams. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think that they have a lot of they have a lot of options. I don't think that there's like a clear like this is your DH guy, you know, seventy five percent of the time. And they don't need type to guy on the roster, but they, they no, they absolutely don't need to. And they have some guys that they can play matchups with. Um, obviously, like Mark Hakis, and then like you know the Riley Camargo Ozuna, you know, contingent. You know, Duvall's another one. Those are you can you can plug these guys in, and they should be plugging them in because we don't have to necessarily worry about guys getting worn worn out as much over a 60 game schedule but again there's you know they're really kind of pr- pressing these off days together uh in terms of you but there's only gonna be six i think over the course of those 60 games yep. it's like 60 ga- and i mean that that could be tough especially if you're not necessarily in the best conditioning which is entirely possible given the situation in the world right now um i think that there's a, a real opportunity given who's on the 40-man roster for this braves team to be able to manage using the dh really effectively uh, and give give a lot of different guys at bats. Uh, and most importantly, I don't have to see Fulty taking the bat again. Um, I don't, th- and I don't, I, I not, and not for nothing. <laughs> I'm, I don't think that we're going to see a DH in 2021. I, I think that's the end of the DH in the National League period. Like, I understand that, you know, like, it's not something that's been set in stone. You mean it's the end of the, the pitchers the, hitting in the National League? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, there is no, I don't, I don't think we're going to see a pitcher hit again, and I'm all for it because there was a period of time where, like, you know, pitchers were just bad hitters, but now they're like they're even bad at sack bunting, and like they could they can't do anything with a bat, and it's not baseball, and it's a disadvantage to National League teams, yeah. and it make it it, it it's employ it. How do I put it? It injects a level of certainty of an out that I don't think should be in a major yeah. league lineup. Yeah, there's nothing worse. I've said this for. Uh, there's nothing worse than the automatic walk to the eighth hitter to bring up the pitcher with, you know, intentionally load the bases with the eighth hitter. And now teams will, if there's runners on first and second with two outs, you'll see teams intentionally walk the eighth hitter to intentionally load the bases, even if there's, uh, you know, even if first base isn't open, just to face the pitcher. When I think when teams are doing that, there's, it's just, I know people say the DH takes the strategy out of the game, but I, I think it, it just really kind of dumbs the game down when you have the pitcher hitting because you know you have, as Eric said, basically an automatic out. I know there's a couple guys who can I, hit, yeah, Bob Garner and Degrom <laughs> and and Max Fried, but I, even even then it's rare. Yeah. And, yep. and the by the way, this change probably helps the Braves more than any team because if you're looking for a team that's like um, even amongst pitchers all, all across the league, the Braves are like the worst in the league. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, it's free. Yeah. It's freed and nothing, nothing else. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I don't want to go keep too long on just the DH principles that's been done so many times. I'm actually not a huge DH enthusiast, but I've my my thought is uh, my general thought is that since interleague play became an everyday thing in Major League Baseball, having one league with the DH and one league without DH was absolutely preposterous, and. That that was my issue. I, I've always thought it needs it needs to either happen in both leagues or not in both leagues. So this is better than what it was before. Um, I'm not a huge proponent either way. I'm kind of just fine with the DH or not the DH either way. I'm I can see both sides. I just did not like the split because right now you know in the way that it used to be, I understood it. Now that 
interleague play is just a thing that happens all year round. There's a series going on at all times. And to have the uneven balance that there is in terms of roster construction and the way that teams can operate doesn't make any sense to me. So get rid of that and uh, we'll be in good shape. Um, Scott alluded to it, but, uh, the, uh, I'm not going to do the whole thing here. We will, we will do a lot more like team preview stuff again. We did a lot of that actually back in like February and March, but we're going to do it again. I promise to ramp up between now and the uh, start of the season. But the, uh, the, the great, Oz- the great Ozuna debate of, uh, of defense today, which I actually kind of spurred on by asking Mark Bowman about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Moreover, I think it's important, and obviously the the the, the there, we'll we'll definitely be arguing about what the optimal Braves teams are against right-handed pitching against left-handed pitching. But I think both of you said this in certain ways. It's really good to have the DH to like even to like rest Freddie Freeman. Like you could just yeah. like have Freddie like just hit one day, or even have Ronald Acuna hit every once in a while. Just have him beat have him DH and just hit and just like take the day off, but not taking the day off. That's a huge thing. And then you have all these options and combinations that like have pretty definitive strengths and weaknesses. Like Marcakis very clearly is a better hitter against right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching. Like you yeah. can you can you can DH him against right-handed pitching. That makes a lot of sense. Austin Riley might be a guy. I mean, obviously he has upside beyond this, but for this year only. It might be better that Austin Riley just like DHs against lefties. That might be his prime role. I'm not saying it's gonna be, but it certainly could be his best role. Um, you want Adam Duvall playing the field? Now you can have Adam Duvall play a corner and then also and then also have uh, Ozuna DH or something like that. Like you, you can got, yeah. kind of get, get, get. So I would say get creative and also Ender Enciarte weirdly gets more value from this. Not not, not that you're gonna DH him, but now you can kind yeah. of afford to play Ender in the outfield. Sure. A, little, a little bit easier because then you have another real bat at DH. So there's lots of stuff you can do. Well, and you can hide Ender at nine, too, right. which I think is important because, you know, now who knows? We are technically going to be in the second half of the year, so maybe we'll get a uh, second half Ender. Ender. Plate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's lead off Ender. Here, here comes oh, um, Eric, don't, do that. don't, don't say that out loud. What's wrong with you? <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna hear you. What's wrong with you? Jeez. Uh, yeah, I'm probably already uh, blocked on Twitter. Yeah, you're blocked. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, it. I think the defense is clearly something that's very important to this front office, and because of the DH, like you said, you can probably afford Ender out there. Uh, you know, six days out of seven because the glove is so valuable. It helps out the pitching staff tremendously. At least, and, at least against righties. I mean. For, sure. for me that that makes it so easy like you just play ender against righties and that's that that's kind of your base alignment in my opinion now and then against lefties he's so bad at the plate that you might still want to sit him but by the way you, you have ronald Acuna to play center field so it's okay yep no you have options and i think that all kinds of them to, all kinds of them yeah um eric before i let you weigh in on that um i do want to say uh in case people didn't see this, I'm not. I'm not going to assume everybody's following us on Twitter. Um, I asked Mark Bowman about a comment that he made um, on Twitter. It was, it was actually in reply, so I wasn't trying to jump on Mark. And uh, by the way, I like Mark, Mark Bowman. I think he's uh, very good at his job in general. But um, I wanted some clarification because he said that he just kind of flatly said that Ozuna was the was the worst defensive outfielder on the Braves, which I strongly disagree with. Um, and the and the metrics or I think on my side there. Um, but he responded. It was all very kind and upfront, but um, he thinks that, that that's the consen- that's the consensus, which I'm assuming that he, that's what he's heard from the Braves, at least somewhere around the way, because Bowman's a reporter. And uh, apparently there are some real concerns about Ozuna, about Ozuna's arm since he had the surgery at the end of 2018. So just something to monitor there. I still think that he's not as bad as people think, as people have been saying. Like there was a time like this morning when it felt like he was being described like Evan Gaddis on the outfield. 
<laughs> which he is not. Like Marcelo yeah. Zuna, like there, there's this narrative out there. I'm not saying that everybody's saying this, but there's this narrative out there in some circles that Ozuna is like this terrible defensive outfitter, which is not that's not a thing. Um, I know he's had so, some bad misplays, but like he's not he's not that level of bad defender. Yeah, the, the same play gets shown where he like climbing the wall and like he wasn't even close. I mean, it was that hilariously was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was it was truly terrible. Um, and if it was anyone else other than Bowman. I would even be more skeptical of this, but I think he's genuinely heard this. Oh, I'm, I'm um, sure. I'm sure he has. Yeah, and, Mark, yeah, Mark, yeah I don't think he's not going to say that. Yeah, he's not just going to throw that out there, right? Um, so, and you know, like the and concerns about Ozuna's arm, like he was not good defensively last year. He just wasn't. So, yeah, like, some, some a, of the metrics were were much kinder. Like the thing is, some were more than others. Basically, but, the only the only stat, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but we'll do it. Um, the only real stat in the last several years that makes Ozuna look like a terrible outfielder was his outs above average from 2019, which is a stat. I mean, that's it's a good stat. It's a Statcast stat, MLB.com, yep. and that's probably and that's also the one that Bowman cited in his piece, which I thought was interesting because Mark Bowman works for MLB.com. Um, but that is a uh, that if you just if you banked on that from last year, it it is bad. But if you looked at his like DRS and his UZR from last year and he doesn't look that bad in any other metric, but if you believe that one, I can understand why you think he's terrible, but he's, he's, he's just, he's not, he's not good. I, and he's I, not Andrew Anciarte, but he's not going to be terrible. I don't think. And there's also the problem of he's being compared to 57 year old Nick Markakis out there. Yeah. Who we just saw in an entire playoff series, like, not be able to get to balls that Eric, I, I, was, I was trying to avoid getting us no, flamed no. at the end I'm, of this podcast. I'm, I, I'm, look, it's gonna it's gonna happen anyway. I'm just gonna. Rip oh, the it's gonna off. happen every podcast from now until yeah, the end of time. But, but that's yeah. I, we almost. I will. Say, I, I I disagree with Mark with Bowman's take, but I, again, it does highlight to what the Braves can do with their roster is that they don't. There's not going to be what we were. I don't see a lot of the lineups where there's going to be Ozuna and Marquez both in the outfield, which would make me a little concerned about the de, like defensive alignments out there. Right. I think we're going to see a lot more. A lot more being able to get those bats in the lineup that maybe they would want without having to play these guys in the field, and I think that's overall an advantage to, for the Braves because again, I, I don't want to say like I mean, look, Nick Marquez is not Evan Gaddis out there either, but you know if we can kind of keep it to where we have like two good outfielders out there, and then you know maybe Ozuna isn't awesome, but I don't think he's I don't think he's as bad as some of the numbers last year looked. No, and, and he and he can be age. That's the thing. Like they yeah, they and, did you know, sign and, him for his bat. Like Mark wrote that. Yep. We all understand that. No one's saying that they like they didn't sign him to be this like five tool guy. Like yeah, he, he got signed yeah, for gold, his bat. Yeah, Gold Glover Mar- Marcelo Zuna is not going to happen. Um, and you know, Mark, I guess you know if it's as long as it's in that ten yard range, he's going to catch it. So, <laughs> but he's up. He's going he's going to be really good against these righties too. And yeah. more importantly, he's going to be he's going to be well rested. And, you know, over a 60, I like Marquette a lot better over 60 games than I do over 160. Especially when he can DH. I mean, that's the thing yeah. about all these guys. I mean, again, we're going to spend some time on this later on, but the only guy that we know for obvious reasons that's going to play every day is Ronald Acuna. And the other two spots yeah. plus DH can, and by the way, should be shifted around by platoon splits, by rest, all kinds of stuff. And it's, they have a lot of, um, they're not all perfectly, um, sort of carved out roles, but like Ender has a platoon split. Marquez has a platoon split. Duvall has a platoon split. Like they have these guys who, who are clearly better in certain things. Duvall and Ender are better defenders than Marquez and Riley and Ozuna. Like there's stuff that they all do well 
and you can rearrange them and having that X factor um, of Ronald Acuna to make things all work out because Ronald, Ronald can also play center field and that's a huge thing. So I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling good about the universal DH for the Braves. That's kind of more a roundabout way of saying it. And Vopolis kind of slubbed off the question. He was like, yeah, we feel fine. <laughs> like They're not worried about the DH. They're not going to go sign someone to play DH. It's going to be fine. I wanted to actually ask Scott this because I was thinking about it earlier today and I didn't come. I actually have a great answer to it. What do you do with Johan Camargo given the universal DH and kind of what the pieces are on the roster right now? Because I started thinking about it and like, there's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was even thinking about like putting like Johan at second and then Ozzy DHing against lefties um, because yeah. he's, he's basically Mike Trout against lefties. <laughs> but but uh, I just, I, I wanted to pick your brain about it because I was thinking about it earlier today. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what the Braves think internally, who's the better defender at third between Camargo and Riley. Um, Again, it's not a bad problem to have. I mean, I think that's the consistent message here of, you know, the Braves have a lot of good players, like a lot of good hitters, um, and you can mix and match. I mean, if if I had to guess today, I would say that um, it's going to be probably 50-50 as far as who's starting at third between Camargo and Riley. And then, like you said, you can utilize Camargo at shortstop at second. Um, He's a good enough athlete in an emergency, which would be hard to figure with this roster and the expanded roster. But, you know, you could probably even throw him in left field or something like that if you had to, or even right field with his his arm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating decision. I think it bodes well with the expanded rosters to have both Riley and Camargo, which, of course, uh, three and a half months ago was was a prominent topic for us and Braves fans in general. You mean, you mean, so. you mean back, back in like 2008 when we were talking about baseball, like three months ago? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Time's all the relative J- these days. The Jace Peterson days. Oh, yeah. Jace uh, Peterson. I like Jace Peterson. Baltimore I did too. Oil. I did too. Yeah, Baltimore Oil, Jace Peterson. Or at least he was. But yeah, um, we're gonna. I have, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about lineup combinations and positions and DH usage for quite a bit of the season if the the season actually happens so yep i have no fear about that i i I could i could already see the opening day lineup of like against a left-handed pitcher with like ender ender and center and and market and market and and left and it's gonna be be i won't i won't even care yes you will baseball's back yes you 100 percent will you'll care 100 i mean i said this i said like a week ago it's like i miss arguing about about the braves lineup and uh, I, I would like nothing more than to lose my mind on opening day when it is against a lefty and Mark Hickis is fifth and Ender is, you know, seventh or Leading something off. like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't speak. No, I, I know. I just, I just want to make sure we I did a little did, bit. I already did. It's my fault if it happens. Again, I, we are going to do um, much more, you know, baseball. Nor, I would say, quote unquote, close to normal season preview content in the next three, four weeks as we get close to the season, provide everything stays on track. We are going to do that stuff. So I wanted to at least sprinkle in a little bit just now at the end of the podcast, because that was the main topic today was about Ozuna and uh, positions and DH stuff. So uh, we touched on it. We're going to, we're still going to do what we do. By the way, we never did an NL East preview and that's going to happen too at some point in time, because the NL East um, is even more a important for the schedule, and B obviously you're gonna have the division rights like you always do. But um, you feel like you play the NL, the NL East a lot normally. This year, it's two thirds of your games. Yeah. So and maybe the best division in baseball too. Actually, I don't, yeah, I don't even be. know if it's arguable. I think it is. It's certainly the best. It's certainly the best top four. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and if they aren't, if it isn't the best division. The best division is the other third of the games because it's going right. to be the AL East. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, good point. I think I said this the other way earlier, but if you think about the the opposite way, you only have 
18 of your 62 games against teams that are maybe not good. Like and and the, and the Marlins are going to be better than they were last. They'll year. They'll be better. I I mean the Orioles I assume will be a little bit better. Maybe not. They're well, going to be terrible. I mean yeah, they're going to be really bad. They're going to be really bad. But the the Blue Jays are not going to be terrible. I don't think. Maybe they will be. I don't know. But it's not like yeah. I don't know. The Orioles are awful. But <laughs> the other the other yeah. the other teams that they have to play are uh, frisky to good. <laughs> frisky, frisky. I love that. that's the that's the uh, title of this podcast frisky to good frisky to good the miami marlin story uh no i'm kidding uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle all this stuff but uh, i promise we'll have we'll have nl east content we'll have roster content i will not call felix hernandez levon hernandez at some point um along the way here but uh we're coming and by the way uh last thing baseball wise I think we might have mentioned it earlier, but Anthopolis did allude to Cole Hamels being ready for the start of the season, which has been a question yeah. we've all been getting for quite some time on uh, on Twitter. And it obviously went away for that hiatus period, but as we were getting closer, it was talked about, and now it's talked about again. He did talk about starting off with these like three, four inning starts, but having Cole Hamels presumably healthy is a big thing because yeah. even if they're not using him for full starts early on, like they are with everybody else, uh, they signed him and paid him a lot of money to be good and they need him to be good. Yeah. No, they really do need him. I mean, it goes without saying the difference between having him healthy for the next couple months versus first not is, is significant to be sure, to be sure. So um, they will need uh, a good ready to go Cole Hamels. It sounds like Friday, he's going to throw a bullpen been throwing off flat ground for the last couple of weeks and feels well. And really, I think, I think uh, June was kind of the original ETA for him to return to begin with. So assuming he doesn't have a setback and that could always happen, he's older. He has a lot of miles on his arm and shoulder. It sounds like um, at least in theory, huh, fingers crossed, he should be good. Yeah. And I think we were getting a lot of those questions about Hamels because there was like that report yesterday that came from, I wouldn't say the best source on these sorts of like Braves insider type things like that. He wasn't going to be ready until like maybe August. And I think a lot of people got concerned, which is why the question I think got brought up, you know, in the presser today, but you know, the AA was pretty unequivocal, unequivocal that, you know, he's going to be ready. You know, obviously things can change during the course of spring training because that's what happens. You know, you know, guys, by the way, we still get to deal with spring training injuries, too. So that's going to be fun Uh do the, deal with them all over again. Um, But, you know, it sounds like that he should be ready. And, you know, I I, I even like having Cole Hamels on the roster even more in a sm- shorter season, just because the one thing that you worry about him is with like injuries and just the wear and tear of, you know, a long season is to kind of how he's going to hold up towards the end. And, you know, if there is a silver lining to all this is that you don't have to worry about all that wear and tear, especially on these arms in general. You know, in theory, assuming guys get stretched out the way they're supposed to and, you know, they kind of manage themselves the way they're supposed to, that, you know, you could see some guys like who, you know, throwing the ball, they might actually be healthier than they have been in a long time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I'm really interested to see how they handle pitching early on. And that, that goes across baseball. It's not, yeah, that, that's, not, that's not just Hamels. I, I, I'm only interested to see how, how every team ramps up because just realistically, this is such a short ramp up for pitchers that no one's going to be full go, are they? I mean, are guys going to be able to throw 100% of their normal yeah. workloads on opening day? I just can't imagine that happening. I mean, could they? Maybe, but I don't think teams are going to allow it to happen. 
especially with expanded rosters. That's like, what I mean. I There's just no reason. Work. There's no reason to. So, but it's also going to be bizarre because we we've just never seen a scenario like this where the game the games count and you're throwing starters three innings like on purpose, like good starters. And I'm, I'm not talking about like the using well, the, I mean, the I'm not talking about using the opener, but like I mean everybody. Like if the Braves come out opening day and Mike Soroka is like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna throw Mike for maybe four innings today, on opening day, and he's your number one starter. It's just that's a situation that no one's no one's ever seen before. Probably like it's just kind of weird and fun and strange and weird and I don't know. It it does seem to play to the Braves' strengths of their benches that it's a deep bench that has give them lots of lineup options, left-handed and right-handed. Uh, and they have some switch hitting hitting guys too. It's gonna be a lot harder for like these like you know these decisions to be super disadvantageous to their lineup because they can just make a like like literally one change and you know they can just switch some guys hitting from left to right and all of a sudden they're really good against lefties. So like I, there is something to be said about what the kind what kind of bench the Braves have that seems to play well you know given what we think will happen strategically. Yes, there you go. Um, well, fellas, we've gone 70 minutes and counting. Uh, anybody have any final thoughts before we sign off? And again, we, I, I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the podcast. We're, we're going to be here regularly. I cannot speak for, for road to Atlanta, but Eric can, um, but we'll, we'll be here, uh, mm-hmm. at least once a week from now until the season starts and yeah. beyond if it, if it, ha- if, of course, if, if we're all on schedule. Yeah. Good to have baseball back, at least in theory, fingers crossed, you know, this again, this time in a month, we could be talking about. Uh, the brave season opener so fingers crossed everybody Ooh. stay healthy and uh hopefully we get sports back wear, in our wear, your, wear, your, wear your masks please yeah just saying please wear your masks please be safe there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that aren't necessarily pandemic related and i just want to make sure that yep. all of our listeners are safe and happy and healthy um and as for road to atlanta we just don't know what's going to go the, on with the taxi tech, squad the taxi podcast. Squad. We, yeah. Yeah. The taxi squad coverage, taxi squad recaps and scrimmages. I don't even know how that's even going to be possible. Um, and we're, we're trying, we're with minor league coverage, we're just playing it by ear right now. We did, there's uh, a, a few podcasts that you can look at from road to Atlanta where Matt and I are talking about the draft. If you want to kind of get caught up on the draft guys that the Braves just got, um, there's, there's some undrafted free agents that are being signed. Um, I think that once we get a little further into that process, we'll probably do another podcast where we round round up all those guys who the Braves added in, in that regard. Um, but beyond that, we're kind of playing by ears to kind of what is going to be available for us in terms of like decent information, because I don't want to necessarily just put stuff out there that's you know, like we're, I'm, I'm seeing top I'm seeing updated top 100 prospect lists. And I understand incorporating the draftees. But other than that, you have literally no good information whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I just I don't want to necessarily just be putting out stuff just for the sake of it. We want to make sure we're giving you guys good information um, and we'll see how that goes. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're all playing this all by ear. We're trying to see how this is going to work. And, you know, really, I'm just kind of glad to be talking about baseball as opposed to, you know, <laughs> talking about labor negotiations. Cause one, it just makes me mad. And two, it just kind of gets old after a while. I am preparing a spinoff podcast entitled the Jesse Franklin podcast. So if anyone wants to join me on that one, I'm going to, uh, I'm with you. I like him. Just, just talk <laughs> into a microphone about my favorite prospect of all time. If you've not caught this bit yet, I'm a, I'm a Michigan fan and he went to Michigan, which is why he's my guy now. Um, but as Mike Soroka is to Eric, Jesse Franklin is to me. I respect it. There you go. All right, fellas. Thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, I guess, special edition. Baseball is back podcast please subscribe please tell a friend about the show leave five star feedback and we'll see you all next time